Hey there, everyone. Welcome to the Eva podcast. My name's Erin. I'll be your host. In this podcast, we're going to explore all things health information technology and our software solution, Eva. It may sound like a boring podcast, but what we're really trying to do as a company is create better technological solutions to help give better healthcare. So without any further ado, let's get this episode started. Hey everyone, welcome to our holiday special. On today's podcast, we're going to talk about practice overhead and the cash-based medical practice. We wanted to do this special because we know during the holidays, especially myself working in insurance-based clinics um, and many independent medical practices, whether as a clinical supervisor, as a nurse, uh, that the holidays can be rough. Um, And part of the reason why they're rough is, well, because we get a lot of patients and uh, it's expensive to see a lot of patients. Everybody's hit their deductible or they're getting close to it. And so they're trying to get in all that last minute care right as everything else that comes with the holidays is going on. And the financial kind of responsibility during the holiday season is high, no matter what kind of business you have. When we're talking about the independent medical practice, it's got some particular challenges that are really centralized around the fact that reimbursement rates continue to go down and medical costs continue to rise. And so we're waiting for money to come back into our clinics while we're seeing a ton more patients at the end of the year. Um, And then also those charting demands. So the holidays are pretty rough. Join us on this podcast where we explore uh, that reality and what Eva as a solution could be for your clinic, as well as other options of running your business, such as the cash-based medical practice model. I've got Dr. J joining me today again, so let's hop right into it. Good morning, Dr. J. Hi, how are you, Erin? I'm doing great. So we decided to do this uh, holiday special. I know after working in clinics during the holidays, it can be rough. It can be rough because lots of people have hit their deductibles, they're slamming the clinic, you've got tons of appointments. Financially, it's rough because you're trying to support all of that patient care, uh, but you don't have a lot coming in or you're still waiting for it because it's the end of the year. I mean, really, it can be a pretty complex time, not to mention the gobs and gobs and gobs of charting that you usually have to do because your patient load increases quite a bit. So the holidays, although they are, they can be fun, they can also be quite daunting. Um, And, you know, there's been a couple of things that have happened since we talked last, but really today I want to talk about overhead. I mean, that's the simple way to to state it. Um, What overhead is for a clinic and the issue behind overhead and giving really good care and running an independent medical practice, a business, right? I want to talk about solutions. And of course, I want to talk about Eva because we bring it back to why we've created this amazing tool, right? To answer a lot of these problems. So I'm just going to kind of start with some questions today. I'm going to be the the question, the skeptic here today. Oh, the inquisitor, are you? (laughs) Yes. No one expects the Aaron Inquisition. Okay, great. All right. So since the 60s, we've had a healthcare system that has sort of changed and, you know, really been directed by health insurance. 
And I will say, just to throw it out there, our health insurance podcast is the least listened to because nobody wants to talk about the elephant in the room. <laughs> but um, what, you know, I want you to talk about, tell me about the change that happened in the 60s with healthcare and insurance. Well, first, let me say, like, the elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about is a mutated, scarred, horribly infected, sick elephant. It's like the insurance industry. It's a mess. Nobody likes it. Nobody wants to talk about it. So I'm going to tell you, like, in the 60s, uh, LBJ started, you know, the Great Society, the whole Medicare thing. At first, it was really attractive because if you were a doctor, because I, I kind of got into medicine in the 80s. If you build something, you generally got paid for it, and there weren't a lot of questions asked. In the 60s, it was really sweet deal for doctors. They made a lot of money real quick. And people who didn't have, you know, insurance before suddenly had Medicare, and it was good. And there was, and there was a lot of money to be made, and everybody was happy. But you know, people got greedy, both, both politicians and doctors, and it went south, and it's continuing to go south. And nobody wants to listen to insurance blogs because it's hideous. It's bad news. All of it's bad news. And, you know, you're talking about all these other things that we're dealing with, like overhead and the holidays. I actually I always find every holiday, Christmas, Thanksgiving, Easter, all that um, right before everybody panics. Patients panic. They're like, oh, no, it's like a Friday afternoon in the emergency department. It's like, oh, no. And they come like like the phone like just lights up and you have a million people to take care of whose problem that was just kind of a problem like coming up into the holidays becomes massively more important. And to me, um, I don't celebrate that people struggle, but I celebrate that there's, there's access for them to come see me right away. Because every time that I see another patient, um, it's another person who I can use all the skills and everything I know to help get them well. And I get paid for it. I get paid to do my best work. And I know that most doctors who are in an insurance driven system are basically chock a block. They're so busy. They're so booked up. They don't have room to get them in. They can't get them in. And if they wanted to do their best work, I question whether or not they could do some of the stuff I do. I do acupuncture, the osteopathic treatment. I do all sorts of stuff in one visit because I'm not limited by the insurance. It says, oh no, you can only do one of them in one visit. And then they'll have to come back for more later. It's like, nope, I can do everything I need to do to actually give the patient relief and give them what they need. So I can do everything in a visit. And when it gets busy, it generally means to me that I'm going to be able to help more people and I'll generally make more money. I'm sure at some point um, we will top out, but I don't see that because I see we have tons of providers who are interested in doing what we're doing. Just hired another um, provider. Um, and that trend, I think, will continue um, because we're doing something so different and so much more enjoyable and so much more effective than the insurance-driven model of care. And anybody who stays in insurance, I'm just saying, um, you're just inviting more and more depression, sadness, woe. I, I, read, I read all the doctor blogs and everybody's so sad about their life because of insurance. Um, so that, that's the one thing they will, especially on doctor stuff, doximity and those things, there's just a ton of crime. It's just, they're just crying about how their life is and it's just, just gonna get worse. I'm telling you, that's not the way it's gotta be at all. And your overhead goes up when you see a lot more patients, but we've designed it so that our income goes up substantially more than our overhead because we actually have a demand driven system that we actually get paid more for doing more. Just makes sense. It does. So we call this model, you know, and there's, 
there's a lot of information out there about it. It's called a cash-based practice. So you run a cash-based practice and, and, you know, there's quite a few questions behind that, you know, um, and let's talk about the hard questions. So if you move to cash-based medical practice model, Dr. J, does that mean you only see rich people? Yeah. I mean, you just, if you are a cash patient, you're a greedy bastard. How dare you? <laughs> oh, just kidding. I'm kidding. So for us, um, and this has been, in um, 1990, I, uh, I did a house call service on old people uh, for Medicare. And for that year, a whole year of work, I got paid $53,000. And Medicare said it must be fraud because doctors don't do house calls. So I had to deal with the administrative nightmare of proving to Medicare that I actually did the house calls, which I did. And they just said, okay, you're fine. Um, but that's what really, I mean, you talk about altruistic. I was going into little old people's homes and seeing them in their house and being as kind and gentle and loving as I could be to, you know, old grandma or grandpa and take really good care of them and not get paid very much. And I wasn't even asking for more money. I was just asking to be not hassled for doing the work. Um, so that whole idea of, well, you've got to be an evil person to want to do a cash practice. You've got to just have a really sick, twisted moral fiber. Um, that is absolutely not true. Um, I don't believe it. I think that that is propaganda and nonsense. I think that there are some people who are financially motivated who do cash mm -hmm. practice. I think there's some, of course, there's, there's, you know, one in every bunch. <laughs> there's always that. But the reality is doctors mostly become doctors because they want to help people. There's a few people who are dumb enough to go into it for the money, but doctors are generally smart people. And, it, you know, the, it's, there's easier ways to make money. It doesn't make mm -hmm. sense. So, Concierge practice, we have opted not to do for several reasons. Concierge generally does cater to a higher income uh, group demographic, you know, and so, but it's good. It's people who work really hard and they don't have a lot of time. They need easy access to care and they need that and they're willing to pay for it. And I'm all for it. That's not my choice, but EBA accommodates that easily, e easily, easily accommodates concierge. We do fee for service because we want to be paid for the work that we do each time that we do it. And built in, built into the system is a uh, really high-speed dis discounting program, so we can discount anywhere from 100% to 10% of the visit or whatever we want. So we give away free care a lot. We we have a commitment to give away 10 to 20% of our care every day. So yes, we have a pro bono uh, system built into our fee-for-service structure. So yes, we provide free care, but the whole direct-to-patient, the DPC thing, uh, those practices, I mean, they provide really excellent primary care for some people for like $30 a month, it's $360 a year. That's the cheapest insurance in the world. It's ridiculous. And, and we have just the idea, just the, the nonsense that somehow a cash practice is, is a mercenary behavior. It's absolutely, absolutely possible for sure. But I think it's absolute nonsense because my initial move away from insurance was so that I would be able to take care of people who needed something special. And that was for little old ladies who couldn't reach down to cut their own toenails. So I cut little old ladies' toenails as their doctor and checked to make sure that they weren't going to die of a heart attack because nobody was there to take care of them in their house because they're all by themselves alone. And I would do that. And that was very altruistic. And I got spanked by Medicare for it in 1990. So way back when I made the decision, I don't want to be punished for caring for patients in a way that's not the standard of care because it's way above the standard of care. So instead of getting praised for it, 
and saving the system a million dollars in ambulance rides, I got spanked for it and, and audited. And it was ridiculous. So that has been the genesis of my, my, my own trajectory towards cash. But once you get a taste of it, the idea that you can take care of people who have no resources, I mean, they don't have any way to get the kind of care that I can provide through the system. They get Medicaid or Medicare type care, and it's so limited. The system limits the doctor of what he can do. He can't do the comprehensive care that I provide. Cannot do it. It's against the law. And you wind up going to prison for it if you get caught helping people at that level. It just doesn't make any sense. So you have that propaganda side of, oh, you're just greedy and how dare you. And then you have the other side of people who are entirely altruistic, who want to open a clinic where they take care of just people who don't have any resources. He was great for that because we, we don't deal with insurance as our primary driver. We don't have to respond to that. We can provide comprehensive care in a way that just is seamless, easy, fast documentation is slick, takes a tenth of the time for uh, the insurance-based model. And when it's all said and done, the system generates a, an invoice that you can send to the insurance company, but that's not the focus of our work. The idea is to provide care for patients from no money all the way to, oh my gosh, I got a lot of money, concierge type patients. So yeah, it's, it's really important, I think, to see the distinction between um, you know, the profit-driven model versus actually the care-driven model. And that's why it's called health care, because you're supposed to care as a health care provider. And I think even gives you the opportunity to do it in the most global way. You can really do everything that you need to do without restriction. So I'm off my soapbox. Go ahead. Continue to inquisit. Okay, so cash-based medical practice. It means you have the flexibility and I mean, at the simplest level to design how you're going to give care. That's what it means, right? And to be able to afford that. So you are controlling the economics of your company. You're basically saying, I'm controlling the money that's coming in and out, and I'm making decisions around what my care looks like. So if you think about cash-based practice in that way, it, it's a different perspective, right? It's really both, mostly just economics and quality because in order to have a successful business, no matter what it is, if your clients or patients are not happy and getting good care, they will not come back and you will not have a business, right? And we enter the medical world to give good care. I mean, there are people who do things for money all over and no matter what, like you said. Okay, so we've, we're now, let's say you've made the choice or you are a cash-based practice. Some of the biggest hurdles, because it's not easy. You don't just hop in and you go, oh yeah, I'm making cash now. Everything's great. <laughs> it actually requires you to be much more responsible and accountable for your care because you're still a doc, right? You still, you still have lots of, I would say, I don't know if regulation is really the right word, but you still have a lot of rules you have to follow. You still have to give good care. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the idea. The difference is, though, the, the, the moral framework of medicine, the Hippocratic or osteopathic oath, um, those things are, are just deep ethical moral issues. Put that all aside. I mean, we have so many agencies and organizations to answer to to make sure that we're okay. You know, the medical boards, the, um, the, the lab um, regulation groups, the OSHA, just like a regular business, we have a ton of stuff to do. So you're responsible for that. But what you aren't responsible for is to justify to some outside agency 
that the quality of the care that you're providing fits within their payment parameters. You don't, right. So now it's like if I say what you need today, Aaron, is you need me to, um, to treat your neck with a hands-on treatment, osteopathic treatment, and I also need to freeze a, a bad wart off of your shoulder, and I also need to take care of the, your low back pain, and all those things together, I can add them all together, I can charge you for all of them at a reasonable price that you agree to, and you don't have to spend three or four days running around to different doctor's offices to get different treatments because your insurance won't allow it. You, because you and I have created an agreement, and I might, as I often do, that word on your shoulder, it'll take me a second. Let me just buzz it off for you, freeze it off for the cryo, and I don't charge you for it. It's a gift. It's, it's common practice in our practice to give people gifts of treatment that would make their life better and easier and, and contract their time having to mess with, with healthcare stuff that's incidental, like stuff that you could really kind of, if you had a doctor who could do it all in one, in one uh, treatment, you would do it, but you can't. In Medicare, you can freeze off one spot and then they have to come back every day for a different spot. You can't do 10 at a time. You have to do one and then have them come back the next day and the next day and the next day, which is just, it's, it's just gross. It's so ugly. And that poor person, they've got other things to do with their time. If they're retired, they can bounce their grandkid on their knee rather than go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth to the doctor's office. And just the inconvenience and then discontinuity of care, it's a total mess. And it, I think it's just constantly couched in that, uh, well, you're, you're abandoning your ethical duty. It's like in no way does running a cash practice cause that. Real quick story, because I think it's worth telling. Guy down the street, excellent internist, one of my best referring guys. If I was in trouble and couldn't figure something out, I would call him up. And I'd say, hey, would you mind seeing Mrs. Smith? Um, and he'd say, sure. And he'd see her and he would help me and he'd have great insight. And it was awesome. And I called him one day and he wasn't in his office. And I'd say, okay, where is he? He said, they're closed. Well, why are they closed? And he, he, he had to close because they weren't getting enough income. His overhead exceeded his income. And um, I called him on his cell phone. I said, hey, what's up, bro? What happened? And he said, well, I didn't think it was right to tell my Medicare patients that I was going to change to a cash practice. I didn't think it was ethical. So Medicare cut my payment in January. And then it, they also had a delay in payment in February. And then in March, I couldn't pay my nurses. And in April, I couldn't pay my rent. And in May, I couldn't pay myself. So I decided I just needed to close. And I asked him, how's that working for you ethically? Now nobody can see you. Now you have no access to patients. Now he's a hospitalist and I'm sure he's great at it, which is awesome. But he's not that same guy who I could, I've lost a resource. And the community has lost a tremendous resource because he was a great doctor. But now, because you know it's not ethical to go cash. It's like, it's way more ethical than closing your doors by far. Because most people can get to you. And if you want to, like we do, you can give it away. That's fine. That's a very acceptable way to handle patient care when you want to. And 10 to 20% of our practice is giveaway. And we do it because it's fun. It's because it makes me happy. And I'm not under any compulsion. And while you're under the insurance model, you're under all sorts of compulsion constantly to do all sorts of things that you don't agree with. I get to do things that I do agree with all day long. And I get paid well enough that I can run the overhead. And if the overhead gets higher, I can charge more. Huh. Go figure. And the insurance is cutting next year. Medicare's cutting four and a half percent for doctors. Say good luck with that. 
guys who are just barely, barely scraping by, they're going to get the inflation whammy and then another four and a half percent. I'm like, come over to the, to the bright side, go cash. Good I mean, golly. You know, a little plug for ourselves. We have done a, an interview with medical economics, super excited for when it does come out and we'll let you know. Um, and we're talking about these things. So let's transition into, okay, you, you open a cash-based medical practice. One of the biggest issues in doing that, right, is you now have to define the kind of practice you are, the kind of care you want to give, what you're going to charge for it, how you're going to order, who your vendors are. Like you, you're making all these business decisions that if you're under the other model, you're still making, right? But in this instance, you're so much more accountable for it because if you fail, you your patient you don't have patients anymore, right? You just don't. And and then your overhead. Are you saying the patients will elect not to see you if you suck they at will. your job? Yeah, they will. They will believe yeah. it. Right. You believe it. You have to yeah, be but, a good doctor. <laughs> right. And and I think you also have to give the patient the understanding that not only are you adequate at getting the care model done, but that you do care. I mean, yeah. and that's part of our model is we, we actually go out of our way to make sure that our hospitality is good. We make sure yeah. patients are cared for when they walk in, they're greeted kindly, they're given a drink, they're, you know, put in a room where if they need a snack, they have them. It all seems superficial, but it's not. It's part of that whole idea that you're providing a service that people are paying for. You have to make them satisfied that you care and they have enough evidence that you care that their perception is, yeah, Dr. J, he really... He goes out of his way to care for me. And by the way, he's also a really, really good doctor. Both of those things have to be in play. Um, and I just think it's it's amazing to come to the conclusion that if you go to the store and you buy something that's not good, every other business model, you can return it. Amazon, I returned something to Lowe's this morning with my receipt. It was no problem. There's no market pressure in medicine. You can provide no. horrible care. You can make people wait forever. They expect people expect to be mistreated, but never in a cash practice. You don't have any latitude for that. You have to take care of patients. You have to take care of the way that they perceive your practice and you have to continue to use whatever breakthroughs are out there. You have to be on top of it because patients are, these are patients who are, they're spending their own money. They're paying attention. If someone down the street has access to a new therapy like peptides or whatever, and they're doing it and they're doing it effectively, you, you have the potential to lose those patients. So you you have a you have a, you have a motivation to stay up to date. You have motivation to stay in a relational situation with your patients where they feel your love. They know you care about them. And still, all those things you talked about, all the regulatory environment, the medical board, all those things. You still have to be a great doctor. You can't afford to, to not do your work well. But all these other things need to be in place. It sounds like a lot of responsibility, but frankly, it's just most of that winds up being fun. It winds up just being an enjoyable part of your life. Well, for you, and let's talk about why, though. I mean, so, I mean, you moved into the cash-based world, and basically, you, when you're running a business, whether it's medical or not, right, you need a system to help you run your business. That You need that. You have to have that. You have to way to look at your books, treat your patients, talk to your people. You, like, you need to take care of your daily operations. That's what you have to do, and you need to be able to report on that. You need to see what's going on, like, so when you decide to go independent, you have to have a system that helps you do that. When you decide to go cash, you have to have a system that helps you do all of that, right? But do it at the best quality that you can so that you remain competitive in the market. 
So you're giving really good care, your patient driven care, but your business is successful and it's this cycle and you get to design and trial the kind of care and the kind of business that you want to get. So if you want to do a direct primary care cash based model for low income and design that business structure and look at the return on investment of it and how you continue to give really good patient care and accessibility, then then you got to sit down and design that. And there was never a system, there was no software, there was no technology out there where you could do that, where you could sit down and be that fluid with it and say, this is the kind of independent practice cash base that I want to build. This is the, my patient demographic, who I want to give care for, how much I want to charge and how much we want to make, right? This is our ideal. Where is a system that can help me do all of that, including the marketing, like communicate all of that, right? And everybody was like, there isn't one. <laughs> so you end up piecemealing and buying all of these different pieces of technology, trying to make it work, right? You do this if you're insurance based too and you're independent, but you know, we're focusing on cash based now. So you make the jump and you decided, okay, well, I'm gonna try to keep finding all these systems that really are designed around health insurance, but I don't take health insurance to try to run my business and have it be high quality because it has to be. And I have to have really good charting too, because I'm still accountable under the medical board, all this stuff. And you couldn't find one. So what'd you do? What was your response to that? First I cried. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. What a, what a ridiculous mess. Yeah. Cause I think what you just said is that everything that you're trying to do, a regular business doesn't do a, a business doesn't go out and say, I want to sell hot dogs. So what I'm going to do is find out about what the hot, hot dog insurance foundation will allow. And then it's going to put all this business around with a bun or without a bun or whatever, based on what the insurance will allow. Nobody opens a business like that. You open a business, you say, huh, what would I like to do? I love hot dogs. I'm going to sell hot dogs. Okay. I'm going to need to get a cart. I'm going to need to get somebody who has insurance for carts. I'm going to need to, so you figure all that out and then you, you buy the hot dog um, software that you, you know, sell hot dogs and buy hot dogs through whatever. There's nothing like that in healthcare because there's nothing, nobody builds their practice like that. They ask the question. Their first question is what kind of insurance will I take? Okay. Now let me build backwards from what the insurance will allow. And then you talk about a perverted twisted way to look at healthcare. That's just insane. So instead we started now back to your question, the way you started by saying, what's the hardest part of this thing? actually getting to know a patient well, knowing their story, having them perceive that you care as much as you actually do. You can care a ton, but if they don't perceive it, you're not getting the job done. So anyway. Wait, let me ask you a question real quick. Sure. So you're talking about it's the hardest part. The hardest part is getting to know the patient. So you're saying it's the hardest part because it's, it's time, because tell me why it's the hardest part. The patient's well, story. Really, to, perspective to, and yeah, to, to really to really get to know somebody well, and every every health provider knows this. Physicians especially have been drilled the history, history, history. You have to spend the time and ask them the questions about, so what's your family like? What do you do for a living? How's your body working? All those things. That takes time. It takes quite a bit of time. Um, a really good history takes about half an hour, maybe an hour. If you do it my way, uh, the way that we do with functional medicine, integrated medicine, it could take up to two hours. And when I entered this, uh, the concept of like, how do we do a really good job and be able to stay solvent? 
we had to come up with a way to do a much better history much more rapidly. So we built the EVA core. And the EVA core is the artificial intelligence based, based on Bayesian theorem that gives you a probability score of based on the patient's story, which they EVA interviews the patient um, online and then extracts the story and then distills out all the critical data so that, okay, doc, here's the three things that are the most important with this patient's foundational health. This is where if you interact with this patient on this level, they'll get better, they'll be healthier because um, it's more about health and wellness than disease. And that's really where patients are looking for. They're not, disease management's one thing, but we're looking at health and wellness. So we created a system that would do that. It took years to do it well. I mean, the first five years of like our software development was, you know, basic science and working it out, figuring it out. But boy, once we got that down, once we got the interview part down, you went from, you know, three or four hours every day is for two new patients. Now we can get five new patients or eight new patients in that same amount of time because we have so much data that is given to us through the patient's work with the actual technology system. And out of that blossomed the reality thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. And all the other stuff like inventory and scheduling and everything else that, that a practice requires. So just like a franchise for a Chipotle or for uh, Chick-fil-A or something like that, they provide you with information systems. You buy the franchise, you've got the whole thing. Eva is like that for a cash practice. You, you get Eva, you have the whole thing from, I need to learn this patient's story. I need to know them well enough that I can not only care for them well, but they know that I know them. Um, and Eva does that. And then it provides all that other stuff that over time blossomed from the need that we just identified because we didn't want to continue to use software that was designed for in insurance payment because that doesn't make any sense for us. We don't need all that cumbersome nonsense in the way of, you know, click boxes and meaningful use and all that nonsense. Um, surprisingly, all that we do within EVA covers all those issues. It does handle all things that are meaningful use. We do. We just don't have to click boxes to tell them that we did. We do meaningful use. We do all the things that those softwares, like in terms of the medical quality, we do all that stuff, but we don't do it at the behest of the insurance company so that our payment will be adequate. The insurance doesn't have anything to do with it. We have a relationship with the patient. We make sure that that payment is agreed between the two of us, that they're getting what they need. They're known, they're cared for, and we provide them with the result that only we can do because we're in a cash environment. So, so you build core. So we have core. You're like, all right, let's address the thing that takes up the most amount of time that really directs super good quality care. And let's make it let's make technology technology. Like let's make it efficient, helpful, streamline the process and <laughs> gather a bunch of accurate data in a very short yeah. period of time so you can spend time in the room with somebody in an efficient and personable way. Okay, so we got core. You worked on core for 20 something years <laughs> and you trialed and erred and trialed and erred, you know, and it continues to grow, but you got to the point where you're like, man, this core is awesome. It's really working. So then from core, you were like, okay, well, I'm a cash-based medical practice. I have to make all these independent decisions now. And just because you decide to move into the brave, like make the brave decision of becoming independent, doesn't mean it's easy, right? You, you have to choose your vendors. You have to choose the kind of care. You have to write the kind of clinical workflows you want to give. There isn't guidance like there would quote unquote guidance like the other world, which is basically telling you, giving you workflows, right? Insurance-based workflows. You have to design your workflows. And you spent many, many years doing this, right? 
designing your workflows, creating, creating relationships with your vendors, building your business, right? So that's Eva platform. We basically created an area that says, fill out all of this information for you to run a successful operations. Um, so we bring in your patient data, we've got your operations going for you, and then you go to your chart and your chart is this amazing, beautiful, like output of information for this patient that's accurate. And in the background connected to all of that is these operations, which is pretty profound when you're running an independent practice, right? So our biggest barrier as a company, I think is, you know, cause I believe in vulnerability and like expressing that when we talk about where, what our overhead and what it looks like for us as a technology company, when we, when people come over into the cash based world, they've got to make all these decisions as a provider or an independent practice that they haven't had to make before. And sometimes sort of like, well, I don't know how to do my clinical workflow. I don't know how to design my business. I don't know what vendors to work with. Well, why isn't it this way or that way? You know, it's sort of like a learning process. What I have found is people who've tried to use other systems, it, it doesn't get solved. And so they sort of run this sort of like clunky machine for a while, have some success, not a lot. But when you move into Eva, because she makes you responsible as a provider and a business owner, once you, you, you start seeing things you've never been asked to see before. It's sort of laid out in front of you. You need to know your vendors. You like it basically says to you, these are the things you need to know. And then you have to go and do it. I have never seen a system that does that before. It makes you an accountable business owner and provider. Why, why, why did you decide to do that? Yeah. So it's interesting because as you, you made me laugh at the beginning of that, it's like actually technology that helps you instead of technology that obstructs you. Because mm -hmm. when the, the whole high tech act at the beginning of EMRs, it was cool because the government's going to give you 40 grand and you're going to have this technology that's going to be amazing. And actually, I don't know how much money anybody got out of it for whatever, but hey, boy, you talk about just a clunky mess, you know, horrible, how it slowed down work and created all this really dissatisfaction and ultimately burnout. Even is the exact opposite. It's actually designed so that the things that you want to do, the things that are most attractive to you, you do. But as you're going through your description, if you stick with the medical journals and the advertisements that are in there and the um, ads you get from vendors and you just stick with that, that pretty much tells you what insurance will pay for. You just stick in there, stay right in that little nice little tight spot. Uh, with prior authorizations and all that stuff that the insurance companies really want you to be doing, um, it, that dictates your workflow. You're going to do the things the insurance will pay for. I get ads all the time. Hey, buy this machine. Insurance is paying a lot this year. It's like, it's like, but what about the patient? I mean, does the patient really need that machine? Can't I send them up the street for it? I'm not going to chase the insurance. Instead, I'm going to chase the patient's need. What does the patient need? What's that? What's the outcome they're looking for? Um, and then suddenly, like you said, then you got to say, all right, so I got to find a vendor who makes a really, really nice CBD lotion. Um, I need to, because that's what the patient needs. Insurance isn't going to pay for it, but the patients are desperate for something that's going to give them topical payment. Insurance will pay for X, Y, Z, but the patient doesn't need that. So now the doctor has to become creative 
in a way that's so refreshing. I mean, it just it's it sounds so strange to say, you know, that this can be the thing you kind of all that like this, the quiet dream of most doctors um, is that they would just to be able to do the, their own thing. They'd be able to take care of patients the way they think is best. Um, except the hurdle seemed insurmountable. It's like, oh my gosh, to go from insurance to not insurance, but insurance is why patients see me. That is not true. Mm -hmm. Patients see doctors some to some degree because they're on their insurance, but ultimately people come to see me because I care for them and they get the results that they're looking for. And I'm kind to them and I actually care for them. And then that's the reason that they come. And doctors quickly figure out, we've done this with a bunch of doctors, so some have done Eva, others have just been colleagues I've worked with at conferences and said, go cash, man, cut it out, stop killing yourself. Um, they're always overjoyed at the choice within three months of the time that they start. That the, everybody loves it. To create the workflow, it's because it's so, it's so um, creative. It's so, and it's a bit entrepreneurial. You know, you have to just decide to be successful. Um, but to create that workflow, we can help you with Eva. I mean, Eva makes it pretty easy. We have all sorts of stuff that we, we preload into the software that makes it easy to see how does a really good, high-quality workflow go so that you can move quickly and, and really provide excellent care. And, you know, we have all sorts of contacts. And through my career, being part of the integrated medicine world, I've had all sorts of contact with um, all sorts of vendors and, um, and people because I do have a cash practice where they're able to approach me and say, these are the things that you want to buy from us because they're going to help the patient. And then the patients find that I am their resource for real help. They're not coming to me to get the prescription and get anywhere up and down the street. They're coming to me because I have access to the vendors and the resources that provide them with the, the, uh, the less common, because it's not under insurance, the less common care. And it becomes uh, kind of your, your brand or your trademark of your, your business, this doctor actually does stuff that helps me. He's not part of a system that just grinds me through like hamburger. I'm actually being cared for here. And, and building that workflow model, um, it, it's, it's a little bit daunting at first, but he, I think Eva makes it super simple, makes it really easy to go from absolutely no bearings in that way, like a toddler kind of walking out into a wrestling match <laughs> to, to, you know, to really being pretty well prepared. I mean, you can walk into it and, and be ready to go from day one. Um, and, and we would do a lot of stuff to make it easier. And that's part of your job, Marin, is to make it really easy for doctors so they can just start right away with good onboarding. And I think the hard part, you know, to kind of come back to, okay, so if you choose cash, you got, you've got a software, medical software. So we're not just an electronic health record system. We do way more than that, right? We're a full practice, everything. When it's smart, it's got a, like, we are so much more than what EHR is, even though that's what people know commonly or EMR. So great. You have a technological solution if you want to go cash-based. Okay. So if you make that choice, if you're already there, generally, you already know what your workflows are. You know what who your vendors are. You know all of the stuff. So it's pretty much plug and chug, right? And then from those clinics, all of our clinics at this point, because I run the numbers, their second six months to so the second half of the year, we've seen a 38% average increase in income for our clinics. And that second six, the second half of the year, right? 
So the first half, they're still, they're gradually doing well. But I looked at the end of the year because the end of the year is really important, um, especially financially, right? So to have that big increase in income and to see that with inflation and everything going on, I mean, that's pretty impressive. And how does it do that? Well, the way it does it is it, it makes you look at your business. It doesn't just make you look at your care and how you give care. It simultaneously asks you to learn how to run your business. So if you're already running a really successful business and you just need better tech, Eva's like butter. <laughs> it's like this. It's like know, butter. It's like butter. You know, if you're brand new and you're leaving the insurance world and you're coming into and you're in that transition period, that's a hard transition period no matter what, no matter what you're doing. It's difficult to start a new business. It's difficult to figure out what your business looks like, what your clinical workflows look like, who you're gonna work with, all of that. And what I've seen is practices who are new practices not using EVA, generally they have no increase in income, like their overhead, they stay pretty much the same for three to four to five years if they make yep. it. That's the number I know too. About five yep. years before yep. there's that. Before there's yeah. like even a little bit, right? But because yeah. Eva asks you the questions that someone who's been have had this practice and built a system around the workflow for many, many years, it asks you to look at a deeper level. And I think that, that that's incredibly powerful. And for some, it's intimidating at first. And, and I think it should be. I think coming having the courage to do this, should be it should be intimidating because it is a lot. But now to have a system that supports you through it and, and speeds that time frame up to a year to six months for some clinic, from going to four years to a year or six months for some clinics that are baby, just left leaving the hospital world, opened up a new business, that that's unheard of, but it makes you efficient. That's why it makes you be efficient with your care, yeah. all of it. I mean, well, I'm gonna give you today's perfect example. Today is uh, today's a non-clinical day for me, um, so I generally don't see patients. But it's Thanksgiving week coming up, so um, I'm gonna make um, myself available if necessary. Um, and we have two patients that have severe problems. They have to be seen. They're gonna go to the ER if they don't come here. But for me my actual time commitment because of EVA, um, they'll, con they'll continue down the path of EVA. They'll do an EVA core survey. So I'll be able to walk into the room completely knowledgeable about all of the things that are going on, all their review of systems, everything that's happening with them. And I'll be able to interact with that patient from the get-go about 30 seconds to a minute of detailed questioning to get to the solution of the problem and be able to see them. and within an hour of my day. I'll throw an hour of actual clinical care into my day. And um, I don't know, maybe I'll make a thousand or $1,500 or maybe more, or maybe a little bit less. Whatever is agreeable is what we'll do. But the thing is the patient has access to care. And so that money that you would not have made because you don't have the time, you don't have the bandwidth to say, oh gosh, I got a patient who's complicated. They're gonna come in, I'm gonna have to spend an hour figuring it out. You don't have to do that. You have you have the data for you because of Eva's interviewing capacity, that the virtual assistant capacity. So it's easy and you can get it done. And there's I'm not intimidated by that by that situation where I'm like, oh, gosh, I can't. I don't have the time or I don't want to blow my day off, quote unquote, you know, my non-clinical day when I'm doing um, administrative stuff. Um, but instead, I can look at it and say, I'm going to do it. And I think a lot of our clinics 
that we're working with, that's why, because they can look at a problem and say, I've got the bandwidth. I don't have to, you know, I, I don't have to limit myself to two patients, new patients today. I can do four or um, I can see somebody on, a, on an urgent work in who's, who's done their EVACOR and I'll have all the data I need to make a really well-informed decision in seconds. And, and that is completely unheard of. There's no other system that does that. Um, and uh, to me, when I hear that 38% number, I have to think that a large bit of that is that the doctor's time is multiplied back to him. So my, my record, my record keeping time, I spend about 30 or 40 minutes a day doing all the records for an entire day. And the average doctor spends four to six hours a day doing their documentation. So I'm figuring I'm, I'm way ahead of the curve and I can spend a lot more time in clinical care or in taking a walk around the block, whatever I want to do. But um, the, the opportunity for the doctor to do better financially is obviously clear. The quality of care that they can provide is sub substantially higher. And ultimately, the satisfaction of the patient is going to be super high. because The doctor knows their story. Before you walk in the room, you know the patient's story and you've got the whole story in front of you. And um, it's just a great it's a great opportunity now to go cash. Now's the time to do it. Yeah. To wait to wait for another couple of years. I think the pressure is going to be so great. And so many doctors are just going to go out of business this next couple of years. And it's just tragic. Like my doc down the street who I who I've relied on, there's going to be a lot of that um, unless you decide to go cash and, and resurrect your practice from the impending crush that's coming, you know, because overhead's going up like crazy. My injectables are now two or three times what they were a year ago. All yeah. of the injectables, lidocaine, even the simple stuff, it's just gone crazy. Um, yeah. And I, in response to that, I can charge more if I need to. That's not a problem. Um, but and you, you can, can sell your products. You can yeah. tell them instead of yeah, hospitals, you know, uh, it, I'm seeing hospitals make decisions that are about care that are really about profit. And, and that's unfortunate. And I, you know, hospitals are a different kind of care than, you know, the kind of care that you're doing in an independent practice you're doing in a hospital, you're talking about surgery, you're talking about like life or death critical, let, and let's keep the hospital environment for what it should be. Right. And let's have our day-to-day -day preventative healthcare get robust and, you know, really help people in the space of longevity, you know, and I don't mean like, you know, hop into doing all this alternative stuff right away. I'm talking about even just basic care. You got a respiratory thing going on? Come on in. Let's take care of it. You don't have to wait two weeks, you know, like basic stuff. Um the last thing that I want to say to leave off, you know, on our holiday special is, you know, a couple of things. Number one, um, just to get the facts straight, because I think it's really important for people to understand this. If you go cash based and you use a system like Eva, can you still take Medicaid and Medicare? You cannot. Yeah, I, I've been opted out of Medicare since my debacle in 1990 when I did the house calls. And I said, you guys are going to punish me for doing a good job. I'm not going to be I'm not going to play that game. I'm not doing it. So if you if you decide to go all cash, no, you cannot take Medicaid and you cannot take Medicare. And it's not only is it forbidden, but they're not going to spank you. They're going to put you in prison. Right. It's, it's considered federal fraud. So you, you have to opt out. So to be clear, though, I can. Medicare patients can see me. That's fine. Yeah. I just can't pull Medicare. Yeah. So and that needs to be understood between me and the patient. And, and that's fine. Yeah. And we also, by the way, provide that in EVA as part of our consents that we provide all of our practices with so that they know how to do those things effectively. 
So then my other question to you is if you're EVA user and you do cash, right, can your patients use super bills for private insurance? Yep, they do. Yeah. In fact, in fact, we, we have a really good, the, the, the way that EVA works is she does all the questioning and, and a diagnosis is uh, attached to the, um, to the patient's uh, chart by the doctor after they consider all that EVA has to say. Eva doesn't make the diagnosis. Eva, Eva creates um, a probability score, like what's the foundational problem? Then the doctor actually attaches the diagnosis. Those codes are put into the invoice automatically, um, and that invoice can be submitted to the insurance and uh, the amount of network benefits that frequently they'll get paid. Um, and we're finding that uh, those sharing programs are amazing. They're getting 100% coverage on those because the invoicing is, um, it fits all the criteria for insurance companies to pay. Um, and, uh, and it works and it's effective and people are getting paid well. So we really recommend it to a lot of our patients, look at the sharing programs, the cost sharing programs that are available, Liberty and Samaritan and those things, they seem to be very helpful. Um, it's expensive to have a clinic right now. One of the most powerful tools inside of EVA that I think people really underestimate or, you know, haven't had a lot of experience with because it's generally not part of your role is inventory management and purchase orders and your relationship with your vendors, right? That right there is a whole other career. I mean, it really is. And so to have that within your system, you know, we help you become efficient. That's what Eva does. But does that mean we tell you how to run your business? Well, it's like you said, I just think it's, it's kind of, it's down in the weeds it, and it's kind of, um, I don't know, almost like kind of, uh, accounting nerdy, like stuff that nobody really likes to do, but even does it pretty much automatically. So you, once you put the, if you get a box of, um, vitamin B 12 and you get that, you have 12 units, it goes into the Eva. And when you're down to two units, Eva tells you, so you don't wind up with waste. You don't wind up throwing away expired stuff and you don't wind up with, oh my gosh, we've got a patient who needs a procedure today. We don't have any more ropivacaine. Oh no, none of that happens because Eva handles it. And those are the things, it's kind of like all of medical record keeping. It's that nerdy detailed, ay, 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 I can't believe I have to sit here and do this stuff. Eva does all that. That's why Eva stands for expert virtual assistant. She's an expert at all the things that give me a headache. So from the beginning, all the things that were just tiresome and demanding, we removed them one by one, just kept picking them off one by one. First, the extended interview and how hard that is to do that well and to, to actually automate that and use artificial intelligence. And, and then eventually the inventory system, like you say, there's nothing worse than walking through a room and figuring out how many bags of saline do I have left when Eva has it all done. And then you actually get an alert within the system that says, by the way, Dr. J, you have four bags left. By the way, Dr. J, you have two bags left. <laughs> and so it handles all that for you, which um, it's, it's, uh, it's so funny because you bring it up. And to me, because it's so seamless, I kind of forget about it. I forget that it yeah. does those things because well, it's not part of my job anymore. That used to be my job, you know, like a huge part of what I did in every part of my nursing career. I mean, because that's a lot of what nursing is now, unfortunately is 
charting for inventory. It really is, yeah. especially if you're talking about procedure, right? You know, like an operating room nurse in a lot of organizations has turned simply into scanning in what is being used in the room so that, you know, hospitals know what they're using and what they can charge a patient for and stuff. And should the system be automated? Should I be spending all the years that I've been trained and, you know, my specialty in that writing numbers of products on a chart? No, <laughs> it's a waste of the patient's money, you know, and my time and their time, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and ultimately that affects access for the whole community and like our whole country and the world. It's like, if you're, if you're spending time doing things that can be automated, then that's less time you can spend with a patient providing them with the care that they need. And we're running into some pretty big, pretty big obstacles, like with physician shortages and nursing shortages and all the stuff that's coming up. Um, and the technology that exists now, like the insurance driven uh, systems, they do not improve the amount of um, throughput. They don't make it easier to work. They make it harder to work. They consume time like it had no value at all. And a doctor spending an extra four or six hours a day doing really meaningless work, just you know, basically filling in the blanks so that you get paid. Um, if that were converted to actual patient care hours, what a blessing that would be. You would oh, double yeah. the number of doctors that we have mm -hmm. by virtue of the time that's saved. Um, and I think that Eva or a solution like Eva, which doesn't exist to my knowledge, is the answer. It's technology that actually works. Inventory management and scheduling and everything all integrated together. Like you said, working like a smart system. Um, I think it's great. So I think it's great to celebrate the holidays, knowing that it, it's it's not all gloom and doom. Everybody's not going to burn out and die. There's answers. You know, Eva's on the horizon, riding to the rescue for whoever wants to use it. Um, and and she's she's a great great partner to have in a practice. So she is. Well, thanks so much for your time and spending you know our little bit of holiday right before the thanks you know, chatting about some, I don't know, some hope for those out there who are getting pretty slammed right now um, and listening. Yeah. My, my, you know, I always encourage anybody who's listening out there, if you want to have a demo, we can kind of sit down, do an individualized demo with you. It's easy to do. You can sign up on our website. Um, if you just continue interested in learning more, you know, it's a big step to do all of this. We have lots of podcasts, lots of blog articles we continue to write. Um, and really we write them from our heart. So we speak about, you know, where to go, how to do this next. Um, if you're at the step for a software, you're ready to evaluate something, we're here for you. If you're at the step where you're really just starting to understand your clinic and prepare all of that stuff, there's a lot of good resources out there. Um, and we're here for you to talk to you about when you're ready to move into cash-based and you need a technological system to help you do it and run your whole business. We're here. We are here. We're the first. <laughs> yeah, I, I see. Be part of the cure. Thanks so much for joining us today on our holiday special about the cash-based medical practice and Eva. We're going to be at A4M this December, so December 8th through the 11th, Las Vegas, the Venetian. Please stop by. We're going to be hanging out at the New Medica booth. I'll be there. We can chat about Eva. I can show you Eva or anything you want to talk about health information technology. I'm here for you. Again, my name's Erin. I'm your host. Have a wonderful holiday season and maybe I'll see you at A4M. Don't forget to check out our website, evahealth.com. 
and explore our podcasts as well as our blog. That's it for me. Happy holidays.